All right, so let's take our Bible and go to Ephesians chapter um, 4, and hopefully if you grabbed a bulletin, there are message notes inside that bulletin. They should come up on the screen as, as we uh, dive into this topic. Um, there are a couple passages. Most of the passages are on your um, outline. Uh, some of them are not, and that I will be referring to uh, during the course of this, this message. So... Um, Again, if uh, you're a guest with us, we are so, so glad that you're here. Um, uh, just so you know, that, man, I've, I've never been to a church where they didn't ask for an offering. Okay, so we're not going to ask for an offering. Uh, but we do receive an offering, and we have baskets at the exit doors. And so those of you um, who give here um, personally, uh, make sure you just drop that in the basket on your, your way out this morning. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, he said, out of the heart comes thoughts of murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, I mean, and, and other things. So this list that Jesus gives is not an exhaustive list. There are a lot of issues in our hearts that come to the surface in multiple different ways. It might be through something you say. It may be through something that you do. Nothing comes to the surface in probably irregular ways more than anger. Anger is an emotion that we all experience. It is a God-given emotion. It's not a, you know, a, a sinful emotion in and of itself. It can become sinful in the way that you express it or the way that you allow it to rule over you. But emotions are just that. They are emotions. And the quality of our lives is often determined by how we deal with this issue of anger. We, we see the evidence of anger everywhere we turn, right? It, it shows up in families. It shows up on the golf course. Guilty. It, uh, it shows up in supermarkets. It shows up in department stores, especially if you're the one who works at the customer service department and people are mad and they're angry and they come in and take it out on you. It shows up everywhere in life. We, we cannot get away from this issue of, of anger. And someone has defined uh, our society as the age of rage. It is a time in which people feel no hesitancy and allowing their anger to get out of control and just unload on anyone and everyone and feel justified in doing so. And whenever anger gets out of control in such a degree, it can, it can land you in a lot of places, one of which it could be in prison. I, I know two people personally who are in prison because of their anger that got out of control. One had been going through a divorce. He was extremely angry. And uh, when the police officer came in order to arrest him for abuse against his wife, he jumped in his car and tried to run over the officer. Well, when you take your vehicle and you try to run over a police officer, that's considered a deadly weapon. That is a felony. And he landed himself in prison because his anger got the best of him. I know one person who is in prison because of murder. They, they were in a fight. They had just seething anger on the inside that was never, ever dealt with. As a result, somebody just ticked him off in the wrong way at the wrong time and uh, just got into it with this individual and thought it was over with, went home, took, got a gun, went back, killed the guy. He's in prison. So anger issues, we think, well, I would never do that. Mm, I, I wouldn't, I, I, I would be very careful because when anger gets so out of control, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. It's like you, you don't even know what you're doing anymore and your body is just reacting to what it is that is eliciting your anger. And since anger has such potential to leave a trail of destruction in its wake, it is imperative that you and I learn how to manage our anger. You're not, this is not a message about how to get rid of anger. This is a message on how to manage your anger. You're never going to get rid of the emotion of anger. It's always a question of how are we going to manage it. We all have our ways 
of coping with and expressing our anger. I'll give you a few of them. Some of you are shouters, right? When you're angry, everybody's going to know it. You're going to yell, you're going to scream, you're going to let it all out. You're just like, man, I don't want this harboring inside of me. So you immediately, sometimes family members, you know, that's how they deal with each other. There's an issue that comes up in the family and everybody just starts yelling at each other. Some of you came from families like that. Some of you came from families that are the exact opposite. Nobody talked about anything. You were angry and seething, but you weren't going to say anything. You just kind of stuffed it inside, shoved it under the carpet, hope it would go away, hope it would heal itself some way. And so shouters, um, they get louder and louder the angrier they become. And shouters are usually the people who eventually will pick up things and throw them. Or maybe you get so angry, you shove your fist through a wall. Now, my oldest sister was a shouter. I mean, when you made her mad, she was coming after you, both barrels blazing. And if she was really mad, scissors would come flying at you or whatever she could get her hands on. And that just might be who, who you are. And the, the, the problem with the shouter is that you, you tend to scare and intimidate people. And sometimes they use that to their advantage because they want to get their own way. Therefore, they know if they just yell and scream and get up in your face and and, and holler that you're going to give in to whatever it is they, they, they desire or they want. The side note of that is that you push people away. Most people are scared of shouters, and shouters understand that, and that's why they leverage it to get their own way. Some of you are the exact opposite. You're not a shouter, you're a powder. You are the life of the party, the pity party, right? You, you love to have your pity party, and the world is against me, and you, but you're angry inside, and you're hurt, and so you're probably the one who's going to like tag onto Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and you're going to tell your sad, sad story because you want to elicit uh, the response from others to say, oh, you poor thing. If, if I've experienced that, if I've gone through that, I understand how you feel. And, and so that makes you, you're looking for sympathy. And but I want you to know this about powders. They are far from helpless. They have two very powerful passive aggressive weapons. One is which is guilt. They will guilt you into all kinds of things. Some of you had a mother like that. It would guilt you into all kinds of things because there was, she was angry and frustrated with you as a child. And, and so they, they leverage guilt. The other thing is they leverage sarcasm. And so the, a person who is a powder, who who's, has uncontrolled anger issues, they can use sarcasm like a skilled surgeon with a scalpel in their hand and just cut you apart and cut you down waiting for you to come to an apologize to them and, and seek restitution in some way. So that may be how you handle your anger. For some of you, you are rerouters, and rerouters who are angry, they reroute their anger towards those who not, are not necessarily the, the um, cause of their anger. For example, you might be at work, your boss has just reamed you out at the end of the day, you come home, you are fired up and you're furious and you've had conversations in your mind about what you wanted to say to him and how you would say it and how he would respond and all this. And so you're just all fired up and mad. You walk through the front door and your kids are doing something that's just like irritating and you just explode all over them. Then your wife explodes all over you for exploding all over the kids. And then the poor dog comes by and you just kick the dog because you're mad, right? You don't kick the cat because you can't ever find the cat. So that's this problem there. Or you may be a person who was sexually abused as a child and you've been harboring anger all of your life. You have been so deeply hurt, so deeply wounded and all of that anger is seething on the inside. Listen, you cannot bury toxic emotions like that without it coming out in multiple different ways. And so you just start rerouting your anger and everything is irritating to you, and people are irritating your spouse. And if you start thinking about it, and you start trying to process that, and now everything your spouse does normally wouldn't bother you, irritates you, and, and back and forth, or what your kids are doing. And, and so now you're just, you know, whether you're a shouter or powder, you're going to find a way to, to release some of that anger. You're going to reroute it to somebody. Or maybe you're a suppressor. You're just somebody who says, you just pretend like everything's okay. Right? We're, we're, Christians are, are experts at this. How are you doing? Fine. Wonderful. Fine. Okay. Everything's wonderful. Everything's great. But you know deep in your heart everything is not great and everything is not fine. And you are, you're harboring some deep 
deep-seated hurt and emotions that you need to, to deal with. And instead of dealing with your anger or letting it out, you just simply deny it. So here's what happens to denied anger. It, there is a sequential process that takes place. Your, your hurt, denied hurt or suppressed hurt or undealt with hurt turns into anger. Listen, anger is a secondary emotion. It's fueled by something else. The hurt's fueling the anger, the anger left unchecked, undealt with. It then turns into resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness and eventually a defiled conscience. In other words, your conscience becomes hardened. It becomes seared. And so you can become what the Bible would call very hard-hearted, which is what bitterness does. And uh, because bitter, this is all rooted in bitterness that, you, that came from some deep-seated hurt within you that you have not adequately dealt with in your life. So the question is, do you find yourself with this underlying emotion of anger that seems to be driving a lot of things in your life. And you may not recognize it at first, so I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to help you recognize that today, that you know what? You're right, Greg, there is an issue. Now, you, you know my testimony, and anger was a deep, deep issue for me, still is an issue I have to deal with. And so, you know, when my dad left, and there was tremendous hurt, and left his family, and my mother's raising five children, and I'm watching her struggle, and, and trying to provide for us, and the hurt, the anger, the resentment, the bitterness, the unforgiveness just like took over my life, and... Um, it was, it was ruling and guiding everything. So little things that really might have been minor irritations to somebody else, I would explode over those things. I would just go off on something or someone. Uh, and, and when you do that, you say things, you do things that you probably will later on regret, right? You sit back and think about like, wow, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I responded in this way because of this little issue. Some of you, maybe your hurt is a boyfriend or girlfriend you were engaged to. They broke up with you. Maybe it's an issue in church. You got hurt in church at some point in your life. Some of you, although you won't admit it, and it's the hardest thing to get Christians to admit, some of you are angry with God. And you're angry with God because he allows something to happen, or you want something, and God seems to be dragging his feet, and, and you're asking for it and asking for it, and you think it's a good thing, and God might be saying, well, it is a good thing, but it's not the right time, or it's not the right place, or the right, not the right person. And so you're just flat out angry with God. But we don't want to admit that. Right? We don't want to admit our anger with God because that would seem sacrilegious and as though God doesn't know already what the root cause of your anger is. Here's what Proverbs 14:29 says. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. So it's the foolish person, person who lashes out and hurts others. It is the wise person, the successful person. It's the godly person who learns how to express anger in an appropriate and godly way. So I want to talk about this morning is give you some steps that will help you bring your anger under control. Again, the goal is not to rid you of anger. That emotion will be with you for your lifetime. But you can learn how to manage it and bring it under control. The truth is, even Jesus got angry, right? We read about this in the Bible. But here's the difference. We, we call this a righteous anger. In other words, Jesus always was angry at the right person at the right time for the right reason and in the right way. Th that's the difference between him and us. Because we're not always angry or responding in anger at the right time or the right person or in the right way for the right reason. And that's our struggle. And so God's word can help us discover some biblical keys that will help us bring our anger under control. So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. Here's what the apostle Paul says. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, 
but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. So here's the first step in learning to manage your anger, is that you have to resolve to control your anger. That word resolve means to decide in advance. If you don't decide in advance to gain control of your anger, it's not going to happen in the middle of it. All right, if you're in the heated battle of an argument, probably not, you've already lost the battle. All right, I can assure you there's probably words that are flying out of your mouth. As Paul said, don't let any unwholesome words fly out of your mouth. But you know that those unwholesome words are probably flying out of your mouth. Or if you, you know, if you are, are too Christ-like to let them fly out of your mouth, you're at least thinking them. Okay, so... Uh, and, Whatever it is that's going on in your life, you have to stop making excuses and claiming that you cannot control your anger. That is a lie of the enemy. I've heard people say all the time, well, you know, that's just the way I am. I'm a hot-blooded Italian or, you know, we give one excuse after another as to why we are justified in allowing our anger just to explode all over people. Or you might be the powder, but the powder is still, you're going to go to the internet or you're going you're to look for your um, passive aggressive ways in which you're going to deal with your anger or you're going to reroute your anger. I mean, have you ever said to somebody, they did something or said something and you look at them and say, you make me so mad. Guilty? Yeah, you all are. I know you are. I know this people. Well, technically, that isn't true. No one can make you mad. You choose to respond being mad. They can push your buttons, but you don't have to respond being, with madness. You can respond in a lot of different ways. You get to choose how you respond to any event. Remember that event plus response is what equals the outcome. So I can choose to get mad and respond in a very angry fashion, which is probably not going to have the end result that I would desire for that to have. And so there are many other appropriate responses you could and probably should use. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. What did he say? A wise man keeps himself under control, which means you have a choice. You can control. You may not be able to control the emotion of anger, but you control the response of that emotion. You have full control over that. Let me give you an example. But you have more control than what you think. Let's say, for example, uh, you and your wife have gotten into an argument. And it's, it's a heated argument. It's a passionate argument. It is an argument you've been having off and on again for years. There's a huge disagreement. You can't seem to agree on something. And it just, every time the subject get brought, gets brought up, you're just going at it. And you're like going at it. And, and now you're angry with one another. And you punch the wall. And she's yelling and screaming and cursing at you. And things, I mean, things are really heated. And then all of a sudden, the doorbell rings. And for whatever reason, you go and answer the door. And there I stand. Well, hey, guys, how you guys doing? I, I, I was in the neighborhood. I'm sorry, I, unannounced visit, but I just thought I'd stop by and see how you guys are doing. How y'all doing? Oh, we're doing fine, Pastor. We're doing great. What did you just do? You just brought your anger under control. All right, so if you get real angry at your boss, you control how you express your anger. Why? For fear of losing your job. See, you have far more control over your anger than you're willing to admit in responding to whatever it is that is upsetting you and that is, that is making you mad. Why is it? Because you have motivation. 
See, if I have a motivation to control my anger, then I will control it. My motivation is I don't want to lose my job. My motivation is I don't want to look bad in front of my pastor. My motivation is, and so as long as you have the right motivation, you can learn how to control the way that you express your, your anger. So you have to resolve that again. Um, but you don't do it in the middle of the argument. You don't do it when you're fired up and the adrenaline is going, your muscles are all tense, your blood pressure is going up, and, oh, I think I'll control it now. You better come up with a plan. So I want to I give you a little bit of a plan because, listen, how you respond in anger is a learned behavior. What is learned can be unlearned. You might say, well, you know, preacher, I, I mean, all my life, I've just been in an explosion, man. I get angry, and I just go at it, man. I'm going full force into this. Well, that's because that's the way you learn to express your anger. My dad was that way. Why do you think I had anger issues? My expression of anger. I learned it from my father in the short time I had him at home. And so uh, I've learned it from my sister for sure. <laughs> we get into it. But anyway. All right, so here's the second thing. So you got to resolve, all right? You got to decide, I'm going to get this thing under control. You have the power to do that. Number two is you want to remember the cost of uncontrolled anger. What is the cost of uncontrolled anger? He says, don't, he says, listen, verse 27, do not give the devil a foothold. In your anger, don't sin. Get control of it. Resolve that in your mind. Don't give the devil a foothold. He's been stealing. Let him steal no longer. But you must work towards doing something useful with your own hands, so on and so forth. There is always, always a price to be paid for losing your temper. But sometimes that price tag doesn't come until later. You don't realize it in, in the moment, the heat of the moment, what this is going to cost you for the way that you're expressing your anger. Uncontrolled anger leads to things like domestic violence and road rage and job loss and divorces to withdraw emotionally and sarcasm, murder, prison. I mean, the list is absolutely endless. And you're less likely to lose control over how you express your anger if you really think about what is this going to cost. Now, again, the danger here is it may not cost you anything immediately. For example, if you're married and you keep exploding over your wife, she might not say anything. She might be a suppressor. She may be a powder. I can assure you she's keeping score right up here. I grew up with four sisters, had two daughters. There's one thing I know about women. They hold a grudge forever. Ever. Guys, they just duke it out, and at the end of the day, they're, they're friends again, right? So we just, we just fight it out. So... Um, Here's what Proverbs 29, 22 says, an angry person starts fights, a hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. And so let's say, for example, you're going out, you keep giving, you know, you're, you're going at your wife and, and she's not saying anything, she's not really responding, but she's keeping score inside. And here's what men don't get. Over time, you don't see the cost of that. But over time, put a stethoscope up to her heart and her heart stopped beating for you a long time ago. And eventually she's going to get up the nerve and the guts to leave you. And then guys are like, I don't understand. I thought everything was going great in our house. I thought everything was wonderful. No, you just killed her one day at a time. One dig at a time. One sarcastic remark at a time. You get the picture? There's always a cost. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, which means... That doesn't mean if you're angry, like, uh, that you have to resolve everything, like, before you go to bed, okay? That, that may be impossible. What he's saying is do not prolong, do not prolong your approach to dealing with your anger. Like, don't put this off over time, because if you do, that anger is going to, remember, sequentially evolve into resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness, and eventually it's going to affect your, your conscience, he says, because if you do, he said, otherwise you'll give the devil a foothold. Unexpressed, unresolved anger always gives our enemy the foothold. In other words, if you keep harboring and stuffing this stuff inside of you, you are inviting Satan to come and sit at your table and dine there and have 
tremendous input into your life and to your thought processes and the things that you say and the things that you do. So let me give you the danger of anger. Uh, I just list these off. One is the uh, physical side of the physical problems. Have you ever heard someone say, that just burns me up? What they're expressing is what's going on inside of them. I mean, just like literally it burns you. Do you know that the top selling two medications in America is Rolaids and Tums? But it deals with heartburn, right? People are so angry and so enraged all the time that even when they eat, there's just heartburn and they're trying to squelch that and push it down. And, and so we know clinically that anger unresolved creates stress. Stress always leads to heart conditions. Um, and, and literally, um, we are killing ourselves with anger. It's not just what eat, you're eating that's killing you. It's what's eating you that's killing you. Do you know that when you reach the level of unforgiveness, that my wife worked for uh, neurological surgeons, that literally people who harbor anger, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, if they were to do a... a, a MRI of your brain, literally a, a brown spot, a dark spot begins to formulate on the brain because of the unforgiving. And people who learn how to forgive, truly forgive, in three days that will be gone. We're doing tremendous harm to our bodies simply because we've never learned what to do with our anger. There is our emotional problems. Um, when was the last time you let somebody really have it out of anger? And, uh, or somebody really unloaded on you, I bet you remember it really well. I, I bet you remember, as you, if you travel down memory lane, you can remember all the hurt that you've experienced in life by things that people have said to you, by things that people have done to you. And so that has created that, that little pocket, that seed of anger, and, and that anger uh, left unchecked, it just continues to grow, it continues to flourish. This is why the Bible says, let no root of bitterness spring up inside of you, because when bitterness springs up inside of you, it begins to control you and your emotions. And you, your mind is constantly going back and rehearsing and reviewing. And what we develop, because this, listen, deep wounds leave deep scars. And, and Jesus says what it does to us eventually, it leaves us with a spirit of offense, which means now you're easily offended by everything and everyone. And what's driving that is unresolved hurt, pain, anger, resentment, bitterness. It's an emotional problem. Number three is relational issues. It divides people. Your anger, anger will push people away. It can end marriages and friendships. I told you, I have, I have struggled with anger issues most of my life, and, and there are those in here who can testify if they've ever golfed with me when I, you know, 20 years ago, it's, I, was, I, I wouldn't get angry at other people, I just get angry at myself, and so when you, you know, you start expressing that anger, you're slamming clubs, and you're doing all kinds of stuff, and finally, somebody says, you know what, if, we, if we're going to continue to play with you, you got to get your anger under control, right? You're not, you're no fun, <laughs> so... So, you know, you have to resolve this. Like, okay, yeah, this is creating a problem. Well, the same thing is true in your life and mine is that it creates relational problems with people when you do not handle and express your anger in appropriate ways. And there are, there are spiritual problems, right? It not only separates us from other people, but God himself. Because again, oftentimes, we are angry with God. Like, remember Jonah? Jonah, you know, God called Jonah to take the gospel to the Ninevites, and he didn't want to because he didn't want God's grace and mercy to be, to, to, for them to have access to that. He knew they'd get saved, and, but he, he did it anyways, finally. And then, you know, God's mercy and grace came on the Ninevites. They're all giving their life to, to, to the Lord, and they're having great revival. And where's Jonah? Up on the side of the hill, pouting, mad, angry at God. I knew, God, if I went there. This is some of you. You just don't want to admit it. I had somebody say, well, you know, I'm not an angry person. I'm just passionate. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so here's number three, is that you, you want to remember the cause, right? You're going to resolve. You're going to decide, you know what? I've got to get control of this. I want to be mindful of what is this costing me? I, I can assure you it's costing you something. And then thirdly, you want to reflect before you react. Reflect before you react. He says, 
in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. To whose needs? Their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. How many of you have ever said something in the fit of anger and thought to yourself, and a few minutes later, I can't believe I said that. If I thought about it, I probably would have said something different. This is why you need to calm down. I'm gonna, just, let me give you three words. <laughs> calm down, pray, and delay. Calm down, pray, and delay. Before you let words start flowing out of your mouth with your uncontrolled anger, you need to calm down. That may mean that you need to back off and say, you know what? I can't have the discussion right now. I need to go for a walk, or I need to go for a drive, or I, I need to go shoot some hoops, or I, I need to do something to get my RPMs down before I say something I'm forever going to regret. Calm down. While you're calming down, you want to pray, and you, I'm going to give you some questions you're going to ask the Lord while you're praying, and you're going to delay your response, right? You're going to delay your response until you've, you have honestly asked these three questions. Here's question number one. Why am I angry? Why is this making me angry? You got to be asked. So remember, anger is a secondary emotion. So you need to determine what is the root cause of my anger in this situation. Maybe the root cause is hurt, okay? Somebody has said something, somebody has done something that has just created hurt. And that hurt that you've experienced in that moment, guess what we tend to do? We tend to daisy chain that to every hurt that we've ever experienced all of our lives. So some of you, your anger meter, like on a scale of one to 10, it's always pegged on an eight because you've never dealt with this stuff back here. So you're always on an eight and it don't take much for somebody to shove you over the top. And that's why you're just like, boom, you just explode over some little thing. It might be, for everybody else, it's like a menial thing. So you have to ask yourself, why, why am I angry with you? Listen, if you learn to express hurt rather than anger, you have a receptive audience. Let me say that again. If you learn to express hurt rather than anger, you'll always have a receptive audience. See, if I say to my wife, you just made me so stinking angry, how's she going to respond? Like all of us, your walls of defense go up. And then you, you start getting angry, and then she's angry at me, I'm angry at her, and I'm saying things, and she's saying things, and now our speech is getting out of control, and we're saying things, and the more fired up we become, then you know words start to fly, and we're not even thinking any longer about really what the argument's about, other than I'm going to try to get you to see it my way, and you're going to come to my side, or there's going to be no side. And, and so what would happen if I approached it with, I said to my wife, you know, honey, um, what you said really hurt me. See, that diffuses the situation. You hurt me, not I'm angry at you. That's a good thing for you to write down. Now, I'm not charging you for this. This is extra. You need to write that down. You want to diffuse a situation? You, you, want, to get, you want to have a conversation? Because typically, if my wife comes to me and says, you know, and, and she has many times, uh, you know, babe, what you said last night really hurt me. Really? I, I didn't realize that. I, I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean. That's a whole lot different than if she sat down and said, you know, last night you just made me so angry. Then me and my defense walls go up. And so I don't know what you're angry about. I don't know what I've done. Now we're not having a conversation anymore. We're just trying to, we're trying to ease our, our, trying to get the other person to see it our way. Maybe fear is driving your anger, anger, you're anxious, you're insecure, you feel threatened. Maybe it's frustration, right? We're not very patient people. We just aren't. I mean, you ever seen people waiting in a doctor's office? If they've got to wait for any length of time over the time they're supposed to be seen, people start getting angry. Or you've been into a restaurant and you've got, you have, you know, you're waiting to be seated. And the longer you wait, the angrier people become. And the hungrier they are and the longer they're waiting, then they really become angry. And then they're stomping up to the front and the poor little girl who's standing behind the podium, they just unload on her. 
Like she has over any control over how long it takes people to eat. This is the way anger is. Our culture, in our culture, the goal in life is I want, I want to be happy. Life is all about being happy. Now, if that's your goal, if that's your purpose for living, I can assure you, you're going to be a very angry person because anytime somebody keeps you from getting what you think's the roadway to your happiness and they block that, pity the fool. That's Mr. T coming out. Pity the fool. All right, so that's the first question. Why I'm angry. What do I really want is the second question. What do you really want? All right, you're angry. What do you really want? Do you want to be right or do you want resolution? Do you want to seek revenge or do you want to resolve this issue? You got to determine that. Because some people, it's like, I'm angry and I want revenge. I'm angry and I want, I'm just going to tell you what, I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm going to make sure you see it my way. And we're, we're going to have, we're going to battle until you see it my way. See, if that's your goal, then you're going, your anger is just going to escalate. It's going to get out of control. Then you're going to start saying things, doing things you will, you'll regret later. You're not even going to think about the price of it all because now your mind's engaged, your emotions are engaged, and you're outside the body and just like, oh, I'm going after this. No, you need to, what do I really want? And the last question is, how, is the, how can I get this? What's the best way I can get what it is I, I want? Because if, listen, if I really want, if I've resolved in my mind and my heart that I want resolution above all else, because I don't want to say things or do things that are going to create such hurt and pain between myself and somebody else, that there's a price that's going to be paid, like the dissolving of a, a friendship or a relationship, then I'm going to say, how, what's, how can I best get what I want? It's not going to be through sarcasm. It's not going to be through pouting. It's not going to be through rerouting. It's not going to be through yelling at somebody. It's not, no. How do we go about resolution? James 1, 19 and 20 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Your anger can never make things right in God's eyes. Now, if we just did those three things, listen twice as much as you're speaking, God can help us resolve this. We can close up our Bibles and go home. But I know you better than that. I know myself better than that. So here's the last step. You have to release that anger appropriately. And that's the key word, appropriately. Anger is Satan's favorite tool that he uses against us. Because when I'm, if I get angry and out of control, guess who comes in to take over control? Your enemy does. He wants you to say things and do things that will bring absolute embarrassment to you, destruction of your testimony, the destruction of a marriage, the destruction of the relationship between you and your kids. I mean, there's all kinds of different things that can happen with that. So here's what Paul says, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander and with every form of mouth. That word get rid of means to remove or to separate. And to give you a visual picture, how many of you have ever been walking through your house or your basement, your garage, and all of a sudden you walk right smack dab into a cobweb, and it's like all over you. Like, you're like, that's what this word means. Get rid of it, and get rid of it now, as quickly as possible. And the way that you're going to do that is what? You've already resolved in your heart. I'm not going to hang on to this stuff. There's too high of a price to be paid. Therefore, I'm going to reflect before I react. So I'm going to back down. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask myself these questions that the pastor just gave me. And so that I can respond appropriately because I don't want to harbor any of these, these, you know, these, these uh, emotions. He says, notice he said the word all in the same verse. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and just in case he forgot one, every form of my mouths. That's every ill feeling you've got towards somebody else. Say, so get rid of it, get rid of it now. Why? Because whatever negative emotions you're harboring, regardless of whom you are harboring them against, there's always a price to be paid if you don't get rid of those feelings and deal with them constructively. So you have a choice to make in life. Now, before you uh, write the Apostle Paul off, I mean, if some stranger come up to you and said, hey, uh, you got to get rid of all those negative emotions, feelings you have towards your ex-wife or your ex-husband. 
and that person would look at you and the G-rated version would be, mind your own business. But it would probably not be the G-rated version. So before you write off the Apostle Paul, just remember when he wrote these words, he wasn't laying on his hammock sipping tea on the Cayman Islands. He was in a Roman prison. He had been arrested unjustly and brought to Rome to stand trial. And he'd been there a year, chained to soldiers. And so it is from there that he's writing these words like, hey, I have every reason in the world to get angry and bitter and resentful and unforgiving towards the people who arrested me, towards the people who, who made false claims against me and who brought me here. I have, I have reason if anybody does. He said, I'm telling you, you had better get rid of this stuff because if you don't, it will eat you alive. You can't bury that kind of toxicity without it coming out in everyday life. So here's the deal. You can either choose pain or peace. That's it. Those are your only two options, pain or peace. See, if you're constantly looking at yourself as the victim, victims have no control over their lives. Victims are always at the mercy of others. Victims can only react. Victims are held prisoner by their circumstances beyond their control. So victimization takes those feelings and takes them to a new level because in that victimization, there is pain and there is hurt. And so then you just allow that to fester and you become a pawn in Satan's hand. And here's what I would say also about the mentality of victimization is when you hold on to grudges against someone, you're just letting them live rent free in your head and in your heart. You don't want to do that. And so to free yourself, it's a, it's a step of maturity and meekness. Meekness is power under control. I have the power to harbor whatever I want. But I don't want to do that because I know the negative effects of all of that. Right? So here's what peace will require. Peace will always require, and this is, where, this is the trip up for us, peace will always require forgiveness. And forgiveness is very difficult for us. Now notice what Paul went on to say. <laughs> Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now there's that caveat, just as Christ forgave you. How did Christ forgive you? Here's what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means to cancel a debt that somebody owes you. We owe Jesus a debt for our sin that we could not possibly pay. And Jesus said, that's okay, I'll absorb the cost and I'll pay the debt for you. And I will in turn offer to you as a gift of my grace, the absolute total forgiveness, the canceling of the debt that you owe me. That's what forgiveness means. This is not easy, right? Jesus gave a parable about it because Peter asked him the question, well, Lord, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven? He thought he's being generous. Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. In other words, you just keep on. And he launches into a parable about a servant who owed the king more money than they could ever pay in a lifetime. The king says, well, I'm going to sell you, your wife, your kids, your possessions to at least reap back some of my money. And then the servant fell before the king and begged for mercy. And the king says, okay, I'll extend mercy. I will forgive you. I will cancel your entire debt. That's what forgiveness means. That's how Christ forgave us. So let's translate that into our lives and with others. So here's what you have to do. Right? This is not on your outline. I'll give you three brief steps. I've got two minutes. Here we go. Number one is, if you're going to forgive somebody, you need to understand what do they owe you? What do you feel like they owe you? You see, whenever you're angry at somebody, you've just set up a debt-to-debtor relationship. Because anger says, you owe me something. And the reason I'm angry at you, you owe me. And the only way we're going to settle this debt is for you to pay me what you owe me. So the question is, what do they owe you? Like, people try to say, well, I just forgave them. Like some broad general forgiveness. No, 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 it never works. Right? You can't forgive specific sins with broad generality of forgiveness. You need to say, okay, what did they do to hurt you? What do they owe you? Do they owe you an apology? Do they owe you a reputation? 
Do they owe you your childhood back? Do they owe you money? What is it they owe you? You can't cancel what you don't know is owed to you. What, what would it take for this person to give to you to, to bring restoration back into this relationship? In your mind, that's what they owe you, whatever that is for you, All right? So whatever it is, remember, you can't cancel a debt that's not been clearly defined or identified. And the second step is simply this, you cancel the debt. You just cancel it. Canceling the debt says, you do not owe me any longer. I'm canceling the debt. Now watch this. Whoever cancels the debt has to absorb the cost. When Jesus canceled our debt of sin, he absorbed the cost on, sin, on, the, on the cross. I'm choosing to do that. So when I harbored deep-seated bitterness against my dad and I felt like he owed me my childhood, could my dad give me my childhood back? Absolutely not. There's no way he could make restitution for that. There's no way he could pay me back for what was lost. So you might just say something like, Heavenly Father, you know, like my dad has taken my childhood from me. I've held on to this debt for so long and have been so angry and so ruled by my anger, I'm choosing today to cancel the debt that my father owes me. He doesn't owe me anymore. That's a part of forgiveness. That's the power of forgiveness. It's what brings peace in your heart where there is once hatred and anger and bitterness and resentment. And then lastly, you just dismiss the case like case dismissed. Now here's what I know about us. We're human beings. From time to time, this is all going to come flooding back into your mind, back into your heart. The feelings are all going to come to the surface. You, you know, you can't, you, you, you can't forgive and forget because you can't, unless you have amnesia, you're not going to forget. So you just go back to the circle again. You say, you know what? But Lord, I remember the day that I sat down, I forgave my father and I canceled the debt. I'm dismissing this case. And then what Jesus says, what did he say to do with your, what you consider your enemies, the people to owe you? Pray for your enemies, love them, do good towards them. I'm telling you, if you start praying for those who deeply hurt you, you can't hold a grudge against those for whom you're absolutely, authentically praying for. So you have a choice to make in life. If they owe you something you cannot repay, you have to forgive, right? What if they, well, what if they don't come and ask for an apology? What if they don't come and ask for my forgiveness? It doesn't matter. You're not doing it for their sake. You're doing it for yours. You're forgiving them just as Christ forgave you. And by the way, do you remember when Jesus offered his forgiveness while on the cross? Before your sins were ever committed, he already answered the question, can I be forgiven for what I have done? And he said, absolutely, you can. So just remember this. If you don't remember anything else today, and that is you always lose. You always lose when you lose your temper. Amen. So learn how to gain control over it. Learn how to manage it. And you'll have a much, much better life. So I close with this example because it's, uh, there's just this, a line here I want you to hear. Uh, this past week, and most of you know, it's been blown up on Facebook and on social media. There was a young woman, 30-year-old woman from Zanesville, Ohio, who was on America's Got Talent. Her name is J uh, Jane Mareski, and she is a singer. And she goes by the, the, the stage name of, of um, what, make sure I get this, Nightbird. Right, when she came out on the stage, um, it was discovered through the Q&A that this 30-year-old woman, who's a graduate, of, by the way, of Liberty University, this 30-year-old woman is a three-time cancer survivor. And when Simon Cowell asked her the question, well, how are you now? She says, well, I still have cancer in my liver and my spine and in my lung. I have a 2% survival rate. But she said, that's better than 0%. And this young lady had a glow and a smile on her face like she was walking with Jesus hand in hand. And she wrote a song, her own song, and sang that song called It's Okay. And it was a song about all that she's been through in life, but it's okay. It's okay. Why is it okay? Because she's been walking with her shepherd. She's been walking with the one who created her and has loved her. But after she sang this song, I mean, standing ovation, people were going crazy. 
Simon Cowell asks her a question again as he's kind of wrapping this up. And um, he says, you know, how do you maintain this positive life? I mean, this is just incredible. Here's the statement she said. You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore to be happy. You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore to be happy. And you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore to get in control of your anger. You can do it. God can enable you. And then she got the golden buzzer. And every time you control your anger and you respond in a beautiful way in response to those around you, God hits his golden buzzer and says, that's my girl. That's my boy. I'm so proud of you. Let's pray. If I were to say to you, and maybe you're saying right now in your heart, you know what? Man, starting tomorrow morning, I'm going to do this. I'm I'm going to turn it around. Can I just say this? It's a heart issue. And the very first thing you need, if you've not already received it, is a heart transplant. And Jesus is the master at doing that. You need a new heart. Because until you have that new heart, you only have sheer willpower to try to pull this off. You need a power that is above and beyond yourself, outside of yourself, called the Holy Spirit, who can enable you to master the anger that seeks to have mastery over you. So if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith personally and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to be the savior of your life, and the Lord of your life, that is the first step. That is your next step with God. It's just to be honest with God and say, Lord, you know, I've got these issues. I've done so much and I feel so guilty. I feel so shameful and I'm so embarrassed. It doesn't matter what you bring to the feet of Jesus. He's there with open arms. Just confess your sin to him. Acknowledge it. And give it to him and put your faith and trust in his payment on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin debt that you can't pay anyways on your own. And God says through his word that the Lord Jesus will provide you that forgiveness. And then surrender your heart over to him to be Lord of your life, to to take control of your life, to help guide your life, to help direct it in the appropriate ways. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God, God himself indwells you as a child of his, fills that cavity, that hole that is within you, and he's the power source that you need to pull this off. And even with him, it's a struggle, right? It is, it is, it takes effort. It takes time. I'm telling you, you can do it. You can, you can gain control. You can release the hurt. You can offload the backpack you've been carrying around for years now so that God can just cut that cancer of anger out of your heart once and for all. So as we sing this last song in closing this morning, as God's speaking to your heart, maybe you want to come to the front and pray, maybe you want to just kneel where you're at, pray where you're at, just allow the Holy Spirit now to minister to you, to speak to your heart. Take that first step, that next step you need to take in order to allow the Lord to remove the cancer of anger. So, Father, we thank you for what you have done, what you're doing now, and what you're going to continue to do in our lives. In Jesus' name.